I need to talk about the train in Thomasville because I don't understand how at any given time a train will stop on its tracks to prevent entry or exit from the city of Thomasville. I was about to say from the entire town. You can't get in or out. <laughs> like the train doesn't just like go by and it's a long train. It stops. Yeah. It stops Sometimes, on its tracks. I've sat at the train for 45 minutes before. And have you ever sat there and watched it back up? Yeah. Move forward. Uh-huh. Back up. And it's the same car. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, like, I'm sure it's difficult to move a railroad track. Um, yes, like, I imagine that would be quite complicated for a city engineer to I've <laughs> read about John Henry. I understand. But at the same time... I think it's worth it. <laughs> okay. Build build the city of Thomasville, this is my pitch, <laughs> needs to build an overpass mm. on, what is this street called? Jackson. Jackson. On Jackson that goes over the train track. It, it'll never happen. <laughs> I understand that it'll never happen. Because um, that, that fundamentally just doesn't fit with the aesthetic of uh, Thomasville. Right. However... We can't access your city. I do think there should... <laughs> Ashley thinks there should be an app. So that you Where can is the see... Train? Well, and yeah, have a schedule. So like, you know, Tuesday... Or what is today? Friday. Friday. <laughs> Friday. Well, I'm just off. <laughs> today is Friday. Uh, today is Friday. Praise the Lord. Um, Friday at 9.30 a.m., the train is going to be at the track. So you can at least like mentally prepare. At least know. We had a girl interview for a position here. And she was running late, and I am very much. If you're interviewing for a position, you better and you're be late, on time. I'm done with you. Yeah, like hot take. Like I'm not interested. Yeah, that's not even an unpopular <laughs> opinion. <laughs> but she messaged me because she was like, "I am so sorry, I am stuck at this train." Yeah. And she comes in and out of Thomasville all the time, and had yet to be. So yeah. like, she didn't know it was a problem. It's to still pretty for. random. Yeah, it's totally random. So I do like Ashley's idea of an app. I also. Look, as someone who lives here, that drives me bananas because there have been like Sunday mornings when we're on our way out of town to church and we're like, hurry, beat the train. And you have to like jump over the tracks, like Dukes of Hazard or something. (laughs) But can I also say there is something weirdly quaint small town about it? There absolutely is. (laughs) Just this bizarre thing um, that is so endemic to this place. Yes, like like I don't feel like I see that. Anywhere. No, and I know. I've never heard of that anywhere. Where is the train depot that this train is just stopping? At? Well, I pa- I you can find it when you it, go around. Yeah. But you know, in Tallahassee, like I grew up, where I could hear a train. Yeah. But because it's a bigger city, you right. don't kind of see them. Mm-hmm. Like, and in these smaller towns, they are much more visible, and because they used to play very prominent Right. Roles. No, the uh, railroad is central to yeah. this town's economy. Yeah. But um, I just also, this it... was mulch because I could smell cypress mulch the entire way around it. That's so funny. I know. Is it my, here's my other question. Okay, are there train conductors still that are people or is it all robotic now? I don't know. I learned that children still think engineers are train conductors. When okay. children hear the word engineer, they don't think about people like who design things. Or... Uh they think of like the guy who yells all aboard. Thanks, Mr. Rogers. I know, right? Like, I think that's really charming. <laughs> that, is, that is charming. Have you watched the Mr. Rogers show yet? The show? The documentary? The mo- yeah. How was it? Uh, I sat in the theater and bawled like a child, thinking the rest of the theater was also bawling. 
And then the lights came up. Like, we sat there long enough for the lights to come up. Mm -hmm. And I look around, and I'm the only person sobbing. Oh. Um, It would have been me, too. It was so good. But so interesting. Like, I left that theater so introspective. Like, Jordan Mm. and I have had multiple conversations since. I've had conversations with my parents. I just have so many thoughts about his brand of faith and Mm. what we're getting wrong and... It's, it's so good. You haven't seen it? No, I it really so want to. Good. All right, so after I do, this is coming to some Patreon content near you. Yeah. episode 182 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I had to drive around the train. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's already somehow the end of the month. Hooray! Why do we do this? <laughs> every, every month, we're surprised that it's the end of the month, and we're surprised that we've made it. Is, wait a minute. I feel like that's a G.K. Chesterton quote. <laughs> it could I, be. I feel like there is one. It's something about, yeah, I don't want to go into it, but it's something about the sun rising and children being surprised and, mm. and God. It's, it's, <laughs> children, it's the a, sun, God. It's a know. really beautiful quote, but I'm going to mess it up, so I'm not going to go there. But you sounded yeah. like G.K. Chesterton. Just that's, that's a high compliment. I was a member of the Chesterton Society at Faulkner. <laughs> I read Orthodoxy and The Man Who Was Thursday. Yeah, The Man Who Was Thursday. I've only read those two, but they're both great. Yeah. So um, anyway, <laughs> it's the end of the month, which is the time that Annie and I talk about what we read. I've read a lot of things. I read a lot of scholarship and wrote a big part of my dissertation. I can't wait till that's done. Me you. too. I'm so excited to be just Ready to done. actually read other things. Yeah, so ready. So talk to me in March. Yeah. That's not too far. It's not that far. But uh, yeah, no, good work getting done now. Um, so you noticed a theme in my reading. I did notice a theme in your reading. You read lots of wedding-based books. <laughs> Which I did not... I, I'm looking at that list thinking, yeah, you're right, but I didn't I didn't feel that. But <laughs> but I guess that's true. July is wedding season. Yeah, if you're insane. Yeah, true. It's too hot. Way guys. too hot. <laughs> Don't have your wedding in July. No. Um I have friends who got married in August. Um, this was before we knew them, but August is my least favorite month of the calendar year by far. And I always feel a little bit bad for saying that because it's the year our friends got married and Mm. they have a delightful marriage. And so I never want to belittle that, but seriously, don't get married in July or August. It's so hot. It is so hot. My parents got married in July. Were they in Florida at the Mm -hmm. time? Yeah. Yeah, And maybe it's an indoor, like maybe if you're getting married indoors, all right. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, but I'm an outdoor wedding kind of person. So I read a lot of wedding stuff. I read Save the Date. Tell me about Save the Date. It's by Morgan Matson. It's a YA book that I never, ever would have picked up because, interestingly, I find the cover to be very cheesy. Mm. However, when I posted about it on Instagram, several people were like, oh, this cover is so cute. And so I, I think maybe it's, I don't know, maybe cover designs are created for different people in mind. <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy, right? Almost like covers are marketing. Yeah. So anyway, Save the Date is this YA novel that I picked up solely because I had seen it posted on Instagram by some people who I really like. Mm-hmm. And these are 
people who read a wide range of literature, but they also are kind of what I would consider YA experts. Sure. And they like Morgan Matson. So I picked up Save the Date, and I will say it was delightful. It's about a young woman who is a part of this family, large family, and so she's one of several kids, and their mom is a comic book or comic strip writer. Okay. Like, like I was picturing, yeah, Kathy, Family Circle. Mm-hmm. And so throughout the book, you get cartoons mm-hmm. about this. And oh, she cool. has based her cartoon on her family. So it's all about, does this family look like the cartoon strip? Because in the book, she's retiring. She's about to draw her last strip. That sounds really smart. It was extremely smart. Yeah. Um, and then all based around the oldest daughter is getting married okay. in the family's backyard. So we've got kind of this Father of the Bride thing going on. The movie, guys. The classic film, Father of the Bride. Um, and then we have kind of this family story where they're moving from mm-hmm. their childhood home. Like So that's why she's finishing right, her comic right, right. strip. So you kind of got all these pieces. So I loved it because of the family at the center of the novel. I love a good dysfunctional family. We've talked about that many times. Many, many times. But there's also something to be said, said for a family who likes one another. Absolutely. So a few months ago, I read the book Limelight. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another novel where it felt like those people really liked each other. There was definitely family drama mm-hmm. um, because perfect families don't exist. Right. But... Families that like each other do exist. You just don't get to hear about them very often. Right. I think people assume those stories are boring. And I don't think those stories are boring at all. Um, so I love that it's this family that likes each other. There's definitely some drama and some angst and things to work out. But these are people who ultimately care about each other. The comic strip element I thought was super, super smart and interesting. Mm-hmm. Different from anything else YA I've read. And then there was this also kind of farcical, like silly element because everything that can go wrong in this wedding Mm. does go wrong. So you do have to suspend disbelief a little bit because... I don't know. (laughs) Did you... I I know about some terrible weddings. Well, that's true. I used to work I won't out my friends on this podcast, but you know who you are. I used to work for a wedding planner and it is true. Like disaster strikes more often than you'd think. The stakes feel very high. So... As you're reading, I felt like I did have to suspend disbelief or suspend belief a little bit. But overall, I thought it was a very funny, enjoyable YA book. Another thing our staff is always talking about is the difficulty sometimes with YA literature. Because is it written for adults? Or is it written for actual... Is it written for adults and then marketed to teenagers? Or is it written for teenagers? That's right. Right. And I liked that while I totally enjoyed this one, I could also easily sell it to a teenager. Good. Or to a young teenager. There are some... And we were talking off air. I'm a little bit of a prude. Mm-hmm. But also, like, grandmas and moms are buying books for their right. kids and who are maybe 12 to 15, and they're not ready right. for some of the content that right. does appear in YA books. Right. This one, I thought, really was... Pretty great. Um, something I could easily sell, but something I also thought was very enjoyable. Um, we sent it out, in fact, as our YA shelf subscription for July, I nice. think. So anyway, if you are into YA, if you adored Steve Martin in Father of the Bride, <laughs> then Save the Date, I think, would be for you. Excellent. Um, so talking about this next wedding-based book, Marriage Vacation. All right. Do you watch the TV show Younger? No. Do you know this show? I've heard of it. TV Land. Sutton Foster. Delightful. Good. Just utter... I don't want to say trash. Because it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I feel like... It's light on the palette. It's super light. With 
but it has all these things I want. I want a compelling love triangle. I want a smart female protagonist. Mm-hmm. I want a chummy like BFF. Mm-hmm. So it's got kind of all these things that I really like. Basically, Sutton Foster's character is in her 40s. She can't find a job after she's divorced and she's trying to still um, help her daughter go to college and things like that. So she, her friend is like, you look young. And Sutton Foster does look young, by the way. And so she pretends to be a 26-year-old and mm. goes back to work <laughs> in publishing. Okay. And so here, the other thing I really like about the show is it actually portrays publishing. I, I don't know if it's in a realistic way, but in a really fun, mm-hmm. delightful, charming way. Um, so she goes back, she works for a publisher in the show Younger, which is on like season four or five, I think, um, a woman on that show writes and publishes a book and it's like their it book of the season. The book is called Marriage Vacation. Oh. This is so fascinating. One of those in-universe books? Yes. Like the Leslie Note Pawnee book? Yes. So this book is written in, in reality by, um, oh no, Joe Piazza. Oh yeah. Okay. But she basically ghost wrote it mm-hmm. for this TV fictional TV character. I love that. So I was dying to read it because I'm curious if this benefits both the publisher. Like, I'm curious who this is for, right? It's obviously for the people like me who watch the show younger. Are other people going to pick this up? Um, does it benefit the publisher? Does it benefit the TV show? Like, I have so many yeah. questions. Um, that being said, uh, I thought the novel was clever. Um, I don't know why you would read this having not watched the show because what's fat, I mean, it's so convoluted to explain, but what's so interesting about this book is the woman in the show who writes this book used to be married to one of the love interests to Sutton Foster's character. So it's fiction. It's so meta. I don't even know if I'm explaining it. Yeah, I was gonna say, this is so my wheelhouse. <laughs> well, slow in your mind. Okay, so it's fiction but based in her real life, mm-hmm. which is also fiction. Right. So while you're reading it, you're getting these insights into this other character on the show. So this is a book that exists in the real world that also exists in this fictional world of the TV show Younger. Yeah. If you're familiar with the world of the TV show Younger, you will understand this book on a different level that does not affect your enjoyment of the book in the real real world necessarily. Yeah. But gives you a... like second level of appreciation because you're reading it also within the fictional world of the TV show Younger. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely. So, I'm so into that. So, well, and did you know... That's like, making me giddy. Did you know, like, Jane the Virgin? Mm-hmm. Like, they published her book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, which I've not read. But, so, I'm just so intrigued by this whole concept. Um, I also am curious if a non-Younger watcher mm-hmm. would enjoy Marriage Vacation. Right. It is... Um, well-written chiclet. It's a little bit eat, pray, love. It's basically about this woman who decides, and in the show, this totally makes sense because she's kind of portrayed as this very thoughtful woman, but a, a little bit maybe selfish. She goes to a wedding. Her husband doesn't go with her. Her kids don't get to go. So like she's in California for this wedding and she realizes she doesn't like her life. She wanted to be a writer. Instead, she's a mom. Um, she loves her kids, but her marriage is a little weird right now. So she decides on a whim, I'm going to go do this eat, pray, love situation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go to Indonesia or somewhere. And she winds up staying there for months. I think even a, I think a year, full year. So she's on a marriage vacation. So she leaves her children. So as a reader, 
I'm mostly intrigued by this because I know this character on this show. If I'm if I'm Annie just reading it, I would find this character to be deplorable. Right. Because she's left her children and this her husband. This also sounds weirdly like the book of Marjorie Kemp. Oh, really? A little bit. Okay. But that's a much more religious take on this, yeah. on this concept. So anyway, I thought it was well done for what it was. In the, in the show, Younger, there was all this fuss about what's on page 158 because there's a description of this woman's intimacy in her marriage mm-hmm. and it obviously is yep based te- on yeah yep. it tells about this boss and like how he is and anyway it was a little i skimmed some parts I, that's <laughs> not my that's not what i enjoy reading uh but i think this is a totally clever concept i'll be interested to see if other shows follow suit yeah or if younger which is based in a publishing world will do this again right um yeah no that's really interesting it's like this it's confirming all my theories about this semi-permeable multiverse that we live in and now the boundaries between universes are like breaking down yeah. and this book has crossed from this fictional universe into our universe yeah. that's wild i i thought you would appreciate i that. love that yeah. i'm so glad you shared that with me <laughs> but talk to me about where the crawdads sing because this is actually one that i'm i might be interested in reading okay so where the crawdads sing is by delia owens she is a thomasville native and in fact is coming to the bookshelf in august um shortly i think just two days after this book comes out i think this book releases august 14th mm-hmm. um Delia Owens is a naturalist um, and environmental scientist. She has done a lot of work in Africa. Her previous two books, in fact, I think one of them was called um, Cry of the Kalahari. Those books were bestsellers about um, nature and about the natural world. And so they were nonfiction nature writing. I'm not familiar with those. I do know Thomasville loves Delia Owens. Um, She's somebody who the town really respects and Mm -hmm. we're super excited to host her at the bookshelf. Where the Crawdads Sing is her first novel. And it is about a young woman who grows up in the marshes of North Carolina. She has been abandoned by her mother and ultimately by her father and her siblings. We kind of watch as one by one they leave. And she is tasked then with raising herself in the marshes. Uh, The marsh is near this kind of small town. And so she becomes this almost uh, mythical creature mm-hmm. to them, the Marsh Girl. And in the book, kind of all of that is happening. The years progress, and a young man is found dead in the marshes. Mm-hmm. And they wonder if the Marsh Girl did it. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. I thought the nature writing in this book was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me a lot of Janice Ray mm-hmm. um, because... She's a writer. Delia Owens obviously is a Southern writer who knows her stuff. Like she is writing about the marshes of North Carolina because she has probably lived there, explored there. Like she writes about it so beautifully and so well. Um, I loved those parts of the book. This book though really did to me feel like three in one. Mm. So it's kind of this nature writing about mm-hmm. this marsh girl, uh, almost like Girl of the Limber Lost, if you're familiar okay, yeah. with that kind of classic book. Um, but then there's also this kind of love story, which is very sweet, um, not always innocent, but very sweet, um, with between the young girl and a young man who decides to take the marsh girl under his wing and like teach her to read and that kind of thing. So there's this undercurrent of a love story. And then there's also this murder mystery, mm. uh, this murder mystery element where you're wanting to know who has died, um, why they died, mm-hmm. who killed them. Um, so 
Janice Ray, the romance almost reads like a Charles Martin, Nicholas Sparks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nature writing reads like the, a Janice Ray yeah, or even a Wendell so, Berry. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here that I liked. As a reader, I'm not necessarily drawn to those love story mm-hmm. um, descriptions, and mm-hmm. I'm just that's not my favorite genre. Right. So I think I could have maybe done without that element. At the same time, acknowledging that that element was important to the story. Right. Um, one thing I will say too is the last kind of fifty or so pages of this book. Like I had kind of wondered, I wonder how this is going to wrap up. And then the choices Owens makes, I find to be fascinating. Um, and so this would make an excellent book club book because a lot kind of happens there at the end that you could really discuss as a book club. The writing, the nature writing is fantastic. Um, for me, this one wound up being like a three and a half star book. What that means is I really enjoyed this one. It's not going to make my top 10 of the year mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I could see a whole population of readers, particularly um, book clubs, women who like historical fiction. I do say women because it is it does feel to me a little bit more female-centric. Um, but I think there is a whole group of readers for whom this could be a four or five star book. Cool. Um, so anyway, I'm super excited to meet Delia and to talk to her. I've met her, um, but I'm excited for her to come to the store and talk about it some more because mm-hmm. I'd love to know why she went yeah. from nonfiction to fiction. Right. Um, where she kind of get, got this idea for the Marsh Girl. I thought those components of the story were the most strong yeah. or the strongest. So anyway, I, I wound up liking it a lot. Cool. Uh, talk to me about The Witch Elm. This is the new Tana French. Oh, yeah. Okay. Guys, it's out in October. It is hefty. I don't know if it is thicker than Tana French's previous works. It felt large. I don't know if that's because I was reading an ARC or right. what. So at first it felt a little daunting. Like... I love a good thriller, but, but I don't also necessarily... also one of your favorite authors. Yeah, yeah, I do love her. But I don't always know, do I want a 500-page thriller? Right. Um, okay, but here's the thing. I think there are a lot of readers for whom the Gone Girl, Girl on the Train tropes have gotten old. Mm-hmm. I thought Gone Girl was really well done. Yeah, super great. I actually really enjoyed Girl on the Train. I have friends in my life who loathed that book. Um but I will admit that we have entered a realm in which it feels like we are constantly looking for the next Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. What I like about Tana French is that she is doing her own thing. Like, she is totally doing mm-hmm. her own um, kind of series. This is her first standalone book. So it's okay. totally apart from her other... Her other series is great because you don't have to read those in order. Right, they are kind of standalone, they're standalone but they're the same characters, right? That's right. Um, so this one is totally different, and you can tell. To me, the tone felt different. Um, but it's about this young man who considers himself to be quite lucky. He's lived a rather charmed life. In the opening pages of this book, he's mugged and in his home. So I get, does that count as mugging? Jordan would tell me that's burglary. Burglary or robbery? Robbery. I think it's robbery if you're there. I was about to say there's Jordan's explained this to me several times. It's burglary (laughs) if you're not home. Okay. And robbery. And robbery if you are. Yeah. There's something. My lawyer husband has told me this. So... Anyway, in his home, he's attacked um, and violently hurt. He's, it's a very violent attack. So he kind of has some trauma from this and also some physical um, kind of consequences of this. He goes to live with his dying uncle in the house where he and his cousins kind of grew up playing and, and, and living every summer. And he goes to kind of care for his uncle and also to kind of recuperate from his own trauma. 
And while they're there, uh, one of the cousin's young children finds a skull and, mm, and a skeleton. Fun. And we're left to wonder, did this idyllic family um, that grew up close-knit coming to this summer home, what really happened? Yeah. Who is dead? Um, and, and did someone kill them? I thought this book was so smartly crafted, so well done. The writing is great because I like ton of French, but I think it was one of those things where I thought, what am I getting into? Mm-hmm. I didn't even have that much information because I was reading in ARC, so I don't even, I don't even think I knew. I think I just opened it without pretense. It weaves where you're not quite sure where she's taking you, but if you trust her, the result is worth it. Um, like I said, longer, I feel like it is longer than her other books, but it is so smart and so different. Like I can't name you. It was really hard for me to come up with comp titles because I think this is really original. People, I think, are going to really like this book. Mm. I hope. I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. I, I really liked it. When does it release? October, I want to say. Mid-October. So good Halloween book. Yes. Perfect Halloween so book. So good. It sounds great. Oh, it's so good. Um, very distinct tone <laughs> shift here. Um, the Coincidence of Coconut Cake. Look. This is a book club book, right? This is a book club book. Um, we agreed we wanted something light for the summer. My whole book club, though, even my fellow readers and book club members who adore light literature, felt like this maybe was a little too, too light, light for us mm. <laughs> as a book club. However, I posted about this to Instagram. Mm-hmm. People love this book. So it's cute. Mm-hmm. This is the question I brought up with my book club. And it's a question perhaps you and I can expound on at a later date. I want to know at what point the very things that I love and adore about romantic comedies, mm-hmm. I want to know at what point those become tropes that I find boring and mm. mundane. So I love classic romantic comedies from like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I could not possibly care less about Hallmark as a genre. Right. Like, I don't have any interest in watching those. Even though thematically... That's right. Right. They're the same. Yes. And so this book, that's one thing we talked about with this book in particular. This book follows some exact plot lines, in my opinion, of You've Got Mail. Mm -hmm. So my other question is, at what point is something an homage to something? And then straight up like copying something. I think there's something very similar in the fact that like I love Tolkien mm-hmm. but I do not care at all about the high fantasy genre okay I don't care about your like cra- well crafted world with dragons and orcs and stuff like I want to read Tolkien mm-hmm. because that's like not about that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like all that is set dressing for a story about like how we treat the earth yeah. <laughs> and each other. Yes. Um, and I don't care about the actual fantasy of it. Interesting. Um, so I wonder if it's the same kind of thing where like when you take the set dressing and make it the content. Yeah. When you take the kind of conceit of the romantic comedy and make that all there is. Yeah. It becomes lost. Maybe that's it. So we were talking a few months ago, we read The Gunners. Mm-hmm. And it's a, oh, good, that's right. it's mm-hmm. a good book. but. One of the big criticisms of, of that book, at least that I saw online, was, yeah, this is a great book. It's the big chill. Coincidence of Coconut Cake, so many people told me, oh, you'll love it because it's like you've got mail. Okay, but I wanted it to be different. Right. <laughs> you don't want it to be exactly you've got to, mail, but right. about cake. And, and, it, and it wasn't exactly. So in this book, the young woman is a chef. Um, she has this great little restaurant. She's named after her grandmother. And... 
of course, her restaurant, through a series of unfortunate, almost out-of-her-control events, gets a horrible negative review. Mm. The review writer, she meets him on a whim. Okay, so it's exactly like that male. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't know he's the review writer. And then does he buy her restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, um, <laughs> but they they ultimately fall in love, not knowing really fully who one another is. Um, here's one thing I will say about this book that I did absolutely love. Weirdly, this book takes place in Milwaukee. I now want to plan a trip to Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee's great. Okay, wait. Kimberly, I've been several times. Our friend Kimberly is listening to this episode. She used to go to Milwaukee all the time for law uh, for her law firm, and she was like, Milwaukee is not great. Oh, no. <laughs> it's... It's dreary okay. and dismal and gray. Okay. And it's an old factory town, okay. but there is so much good food and drink there. Okay. So, and that's the point of this book. Yeah. So maybe Kimberly would agree with you there because she, I would have to guess, was not spending a lot of time doing the food and drink thing. She was probably in an office complex somewhere. And <laughs> our, our friend Kim. Yeah. Um, different person. Different Kim. Um, Grew up in Milwaukee. And okay. so when I've gone to conferences and stayed with her parents a couple times, like I've gone out and seen you get to Milwaukee see a different and part. it's... It's fun and nice and good. So this whole book, it basically this these two foodie people explore the food culture of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and that's how they fall in love. So there are truly lovely elements. To me, I fell in love not with their love story, but with the city of Milwaukee. I thought this was yeah. a love story to Milwaukee. The author is from there. You can tell she wrote about cheese curds in a way that made me so very hungry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that part There's of the book... There's lots of good cheese in Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that part of the book was really well done. Um, and some of the secondary characters, my book club actually really did like some of the secondary mm-hmm. characters. I don't know. It just brought up all these questions to me of, wait a minute, I consider myself to be a an expert on the romantic mm-hmm. comedy as a genre. Yeah. But also, there's this whole side category of romantic comedies that I do not enjoy. I do not like Hallmark. Mm -hmm. I don't always love this type of book. Um, So, and I I don't know why that is. Um, But even my friend Ashley, who loves this kind of book generally, she felt this one felt a little bit short. And she thought it was because it was missing some wit. Mm. And and maybe that so maybe that's what we're talking about too. Like we're missing the zip and the punch yeah. that sometimes I think a good romantic comedy needs. So my book club felt a little bit ambivalent about it. However, we had a great conversation about romantic comedies and their purpose and what we like and what we don't like. We also had a good conversation about Milwaukee and a sense of, <laughs> a sense of place in books and the coconut cake recipe in the back of the book. Ashley made it and it was delicious. Oh, so good. Okay, great. Um, so the next one you read is A Well-Behaved Woman. And is this based on that quote that may or may not belong to Marilyn Monroe? Guys, does Marilyn Monroe really say that? No, I don't think she so. She did not. I want I want to Snopes this. <laughs> did she actually say that? I bet there's an actual Snopes about it. Good. Tell me later because okay. I don't think she did. Um, this is based actually on the real life of, oh, I believe, oh, I'm not going to remember her name. I thought it was Alma Vanderbilt, um, but now I'm second-guessing myself. It's about the Vanderbilt family. Okay. Do you remember a few years ago when the book Z about Zelda Fitzgerald yeah. came out? I loved that book. Yeah. It was pre-my bookshelf life. Um, I was a different kind of reader then, so I don't know if I would like it again now. I'm not and sure. Did you read the nonfiction version, Zelda? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That one's super good. Well, I haven't read Z, but... Z was great. Zelda is also good. I, I've said this before. I went to college in um, mm-hmm. Montgomery. I have a fascination with Zelda in, in particular. This book is by the same author. 
um, Teresa May Fowler. And it is about the Vanderbilt family. In particular, I think, I'm so sorry, I don't have it in front of me. I think it's Alma Vanderbilt, but Chris can double-check me up. on that. Um, I loved this. Look, I am not always great about reading historical fiction. And as we know, like a ton of our listeners and a ton of our in-store customers adore historic fiction. Right. And I'm not always great about reading enough of it. This is great historic fiction. If you liked Z, then I think you'll enjoy this one. Also, if you grew up in on the East Coast, then you are familiar with the Vanderbilts. Like we've got Vanderbilt University, we've got Newport, Rhode Island, where mm-hmm. all of their mansions are. That's where we Jordan and I spent our honeymoon. So I found that fascinating. We've got the Biltmore House. So there's just so much wrapped up in both Southern and then Northeastern culture that I think we owe to the Vanderbilts. Mm-hmm. So as a family, they were just so interesting to me. And this was one of these books um, where as I was reading, I was very tempted. We've talked about this with Loving Frank, I think. I was very tempted to like go Google oh, yeah. because I wanted to know what's accurate, what was inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some Googling after I finished. I managed to keep it together and wait until after because I was not familiar with these stories and so I didn't want to be spoiled. Right. Even though you and I have talked about, can you spoil history? Can you spoil history? (laughs) Um, So I waited till the end to do some Googling. I think uh, the author really did her research. I think a lot of it is very accurate. Um, The main character I found to be very compelling, though not, in my opinion, at all likable. Mm. And perhaps that's the point. Uh, She was a woman who wound up becoming a force for the suffragette movement, Mm -hmm. for women's rights. Um, But I found her, in parts... To be very difficult to like. Interesting. Um, but I found a lot of the characters, you know, it's a very wealthy culture. Yeah. It's very different. So there were some uh, parts where I found her to be interesting and compelling. I always found her interesting and compelling. But there were some parts of the book where I was like, Ugh, I wouldn't have made a decision like that. But also... But also, that's what reading books is about. That's right. And 50, 60, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, 90 years ago, maybe I would have made right. those decisions. Um, you do... Maybe she was doing what she felt she had to do. Um... Anyway, I found the novel to be really interesting, and it made me want to do my own research on the Vanderbilts. This book doesn't come out for a few months, but I want it to be on people's radar because I think they'll really enjoy cool. it. Um, the next one you read is Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. Look, I like Young Jane Young. Mm. I love political memoirs. This is like political me- like the hopefuls remember the hopefuls how yeah. much i love that mm-hmm. book okay this is that so like if you liked the hopefuls if you liked young jane young um charlotte walsh likes to win is about a woman who is running for senate okay this is set um in the campaign leading up to the 2018 midterms okay so, I so think it's incredibly, right now yeah i think it's incredibly timely an interesting look at our nation's politics um current politics And again, this is another female protagonist that I did not always agree with her decision making. Mm -hmm. I didn't always like who she was. I don't need my characters to be likable. I need them to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Charlotte Walsh Walsh was interesting. This is the book. This is a book by Joe Piazza. Okay, cool. So you read two of yeah. Yeah. So she wrote the knockoff, which I never read. Uh, But uh, this is my the second book of hers I've read this month. So I thought this book was really. Um, a great fictional look at what is happening currently in our nation. Interesting. Politics. So if that at all fascinates you, it very much fascinates me, um, then I think you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at a campaign. Mm-hmm. You also get a look at the toll a campaign can take on a family. Uh, this is a woman with young children, with a marriage, mm. and, and kind of the toll 
a campaign takes. You also get like my mind is always blown at how much money is required. Oh, yeah. Jordan and I were listening to a recent episode of This American Life where they talk about the future of the Democratic Party. And they were talking about the future of candidates for that party. I'm sure the same could be honestly said for Republicans. I'm sure, yeah. Um, but just the money that you have to have in order just to, to run, run yeah. is baffling to me and mind-blowing. So you get, I think, a really honest, realistic look at a campaign. And you also get an honest... I think you want Charlotte Walsh to be this hero that you love. Mm. But the reality is, that's not who politicians are, guys. Right. <laughs> like, Jordan right. and I have talked about this before, because a lot of people, then this is not, I hope this is not arrogant to say, many people meet Jordan. He's a lawyer. They're like, have you ever considered running for politics? <laughs> no. <laughs> you not met at my all. husband. Um, like, that is not who Jordan is. And, right. and I think... By the way, I think there are decent, good politicians out there. Absolutely. I just think, I, I've heard somebody say before, somebody famous, I think, has said, you have to have a little bit of an ego to run for office, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Yeah. And, and that's who Charlotte Walsh is. The, the title is true. She likes to win. This is a competitive, um, tough woman, and I loved reading about her. I didn't always like her, but I found her to be realistic and interesting. And I think um, Joe Piazza did a really good job. Good. I know that your next one you adored. Um, so talk to me about Beartown. Guys. You've been sleeping on Beartown. I've been sleeping on Beartown. Look, I like Frederick Bachman, but as a bookseller, you know, there's only so much we can do. <laughs> there's only so much we can read. And because I trust Frederick Bachman as a writer, Beartown is one I was like, I don't need to read that. Customers are going to buy that one. I can that sell it on that. reputation. That's right. Yeah. I can sell it on reputation. And customers seem to like him, so I don't... I don't need to worry about that one. Well, I was at this bookstore in Sarasota. They didn't have the third in the um, Crazy Rich Asian series, mm. but I always, on to Jordan's chagrin, insist on buying something. Yep. And so I was like, okay, I'll buy Beartown. So I picked Beartown up that, this past week. I thought it was a book about hockey because that's kind of how it had been sold to me, like this book about a small, small town hockey. Um, which, okay, I actually really love sports. I love sport liter- sports literature. Right. Um, when I was, how old was I? I think 18 or 19, my dad and I on my birthday went to see Miracle, the movie, uh-huh. yeah, the movie about the hockey game. Um, so I, I don't know a ton about hockey, but I do love sports in general and I'm fascinated you know, like by sports them. sports stories. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. Goes back to why I like set it up. But anyway, so I picked this one up thinking that's what it was going to be about. And at first, I couldn't even tell if I was sold on the writing. I couldn't tell if it was overwritten, mm-hmm. which sometimes I think could be translations. Um, yeah, totally. But And different literary sensibility in different countries. Yes. Right. What's so, overwritten for us might be perfectly written. That's right. Yeah. So at first, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this. The, the rhythm of this feels a little bit overdone. By the time I reached the end... Not only did the rhythm make sense, but I did this thing, which I do not always do, but perhaps I should. I finished it, um, went to bed, (laughs) woke up the next morning, and just flipped and read the first few pages again, Mm -hmm. and realized what he had been doing the whole time was actually, I think, a little bit brilliant and a little bit genius. Like, I realized how the novel had actually come full circle. That being said, this novel is not light, small-town book about hockey. Right. At the center of this novel is the sexual assault of a young woman. 
Interesting. By one of the hockey players. Interesting. And how this affects a small town who has come to rely on this um, hockey team. Hmm. As somebody who... This is a good and timely story. Yes. It's extremely timely. And if you're somebody like me who grew up in the South, loving college football, I grew up in a college football town, and then you see as you get older the underbelly of that. Mm-hmm. Um and even to some extent, high school football. Because in this particular book, this isn't a professional hockey team. This isn't even a collegiate level hockey team. These are like young high school kids. Um, but the the pressure we put on athletes, the hope that smaller towns, probably including the one I live in, mm-hmm. put on small town athletes, is was just such an interesting thing to cover in a novel. And... Somebody told me on Instagram that like um, John Krakauer's book about Missoula mm-hmm. would be a really great comp title, and I bet it would. What I love about fiction is that people who aren't going to pick up something like Missoula because oh that's too no, that's political too heavy, uh, or too yeah. heavy or you know whatever the excuses might be, you might be willing to read it in fiction instead. Right. Now, I like dark literature. I am not afraid of heavy themes. That being said, I had to finish Bear Town because. It was so... You needed a resolution? Yes. Yeah. It was so... I was filled with angst. Um, I was distraught. <laughs> like, at one point, Jordan was like, what are you reading? And I was like, I just need to know what happens to this family. And that's a mark of a good book. Yeah. Like, I'm invested, and I'm a little bit heartbroken. And anyway, apparently... Well, not apparently. There is a sequel out right now called Us Against You. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait a little bit before I read that one. Um I want to enjoy Beartown for what it was. Yeah, give and, yourself space. Yeah, and also need a little bit of breather room. Um, but if you've been putting off Beartown, don't. It's excellent. I really thought it was so great, worth the praise. There is a group of people, I think, who might just want to be aware of the themes that this one covers. Sure. Um, it is more intense subject matter, and you're going to want to just know that. Just I think, know that, in. because the the cover doesn't No, the cover doesn't, that. and I think, I didn't actually... I'm, you know, Hunter, one of our frequent podcast contributors, never reads the back of a book. Mm-hmm. And I don't always follow that rule, but I think I did for Beartown because I think I knew what it was yeah. about. Um, but it's not about hockey as a sport. It's not, it's definitely about this small town and how sport affects this small town. Um, I also, one more thing, just really like one of the comp titles I gave this book was Tribal mm-hmm. because one thing I loved about Diane Roberts in that book was that she treated sports and football, in that case football, with respect. Yeah. And she admitted to her utter enjoyment of the sport. What I liked about this book was the constant kind of struggle and fight between can we still love this thing? Can we have passion and energy and excitement for a sport, but also hate some of the passion that the sport creates and the negative passion that the sport creates. And I thought Frederick Bachman did a really good job of writing about why sports are important, but also the underbelly of it without totally throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, that's so good. Anyway, I thought it was really good. Um, So let's talk about your final book of the month and bringing our conversation full circle back to weddings, The Wedding Date. Okay, so I... Our book club this month, as part of our Coincidence of Coconut Cake uh, meeting, did a Christmas in July where we did a book exchange. This is the book I won. Uh, the Wedding Date has a blurb by Roxane Gay on the cover. It is a biracial love story, which I think is partly why it made a 
splash in the publishing world because weirdly we don't get books like that very often, yeah. which is bizarre. That but, is bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, I thought this book was delightful. It is definitely a romance. So mm. I think most of the books I typically like would fall under the fiction category. They might have a, an element of romance. Mm-hmm. I am learning that perhaps I am not a romance reader. So, which I guess I knew, yeah. but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, and I think when I say romance reader, my my head goes toward like the books that you see in like grocery stores. I th- you know, those romance novels, the mass yeah. market paperbacks. Um, the Fabio on the cover. Yeah. yeah. But I have this Instagram internet friend, Lee Kramer, who really does a good job of, who has done a good job of opening my eyes to what romance lit actually is. There's also this really great bookstore who gets a lot of respect um, called The Ripped Bodice in oh, yeah. New York because mm-hmm. they're in romance-only bookstore. That being said, I'm not sure that genre is for me entirely, and I'll tell you why. So I thought the wedding date was totally enjoyable, but it didn't occur to me that romance literature mm-hmm. is probably a little bit more R-rated than I am accustomed yeah. to. <laughs> and so I was reading this book last night, and I was almost embarrassed to be reading it. Not because I find those things to be embarrassing. For me, those are things that I don't read about. I don't know. I don't know if it's my... Christian upbringing. I don't know if it's my faith. I don't know if it's just that I'm a little bit of a prude, which is so true. Um, There's some things you just don't need to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. But, but so I don't want to say that I was embarrassed. Like I was ashamed to be reading it. Like, Oh, I hope nobody catches me. I'm not saying that I, but I am saying as a reader, I was like, Oh, I don't know that I want to read about this. (laughs) You got got a little flushed. Yes. Like, I don't know that I want to do this. So, um, I think I just realized that there is a genre of literature that perhaps I'm just not mm-hmm. going to enjoy as much. Of course. Because romantic literature really often means literature that is sexual in nature, mm-hmm. or at least includes mm-hmm. um, some sexual scenes and things that I, for whatever reason, as a reader, am not comfortable with. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Like, I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm not ashamed of that. That's who I am as a reader. I'm also not judging you if you are not affected right. in that way. Like, maybe you read The Wedding Date and you don't even remember it being sexual in nature. That's totally fine. Like, what is it that Amy Poehler said? Like, you do you, I'll do me. Like, no judgment. Um, that being said, I thought The Wedding Date was very cute, very well-written romance, just a little more explicit maybe than mm-hmm. I was prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's what we read in July, what yeah. you read in July. Cool. It was a lot of books. That was guys. a long <laughs> list, guys. This is a this is a 45 minute episode. Sorry, that was a long, long um, list. But that's okay. is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. 
Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com where you can also listen to their brand new single. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, you can check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. A woman came up to the register, perfectly lovely, fine customer. She was um, going to buy a hardback book and use a gift certificate. Great. So she had lots of money left on her gift certificate. I checked her out and I said, you actually have $56 or $60 left on your gift card. Big old gift card. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky. (laughs) So anyway, she said, okay, great. Thank you. Now, could I use this gift card to purchase um, Amazon books for my Kindle? No. I said, oh, you know what? No, um, you'd actually need an Amazon gift card to purchase books for your Kindle. Oh, okay. Well, I just thought I'd check. All right. What? Have a great day. (laughs) What universe? Hey, Publix, can I use Walmart gift card to buy my groceries? Yeah, I, I, not, not even. Hey, <laughs> hey, Walmart, can I use this store credit at Dosey's Market to yeah. buy something at your store? Yeah, Jordan, I told Jordan the story, and he was like, see, the world really does want a monopoly. That's so terrifying. They want Google, Amazon, and Facebook to run the world. And of course, you saw all the drama about that Forbes article about oh, yeah. Amazon replacing libraries and how all of library Twitter came out, and Forbes was like, we have pulled this article because <laughs> we realized that this person did not actually know what they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, they had to get that off the internet. They took the whole thing down. They did. They didn't it was even amazing. Stand by it. And then we learned something about Forbes publishing model that you can just pay Forbes money and they will print your thing. Which bad which is terrifying. Model. And also, also so suddenly Forbes is not a credible source for anything. Yeah, and library out, Twitter will come at you. Yep. Don't come for library Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>